0: Welcome, everybody, to another edition of No Character Limits. I am your host, Greg Esposito, and you know the drill by now. I talk about topics I find interesting with people I find even more interesting, and today is kind of a reunion of sorts for myself and my guest, and uh, I think some of you listeners as well. My guest is John Bloom. John, how are you today, man?
1: I'm good Espo. I was having some withdrawal uh you know after we uh, podcasted regularly over the course of the last year or so uh, so I am uh, thrilled to hear your voice and be able to talk uh, whatever you decide to talk about with me over the course of the next uh you know few minutes or so
0: hey don't don't you fret this is going to become a regular thing now that uh now that we're not working together on the suns i'm going to force you to do this more uh, more than you probably like so uh well, well be know.
1: careful. Be careful, because you put me in a situation where there's no character limits, and uh, you never know. You never know. You might have to take a little rest for a while. Well, if it's a particular topic, you, you might get a break, and it could be like a Bill Walton situation where it's, uh, you know, two questions, and, and there's your hour.
0: John, I am perfectly fine with that, and you know what? There's no FCC here. There's no uh, management over our shoulders. This is... this is uh, free reign so anything goes here so don't don't feel like we have any any constraints whatsoever with what we say or how we say it
1: okay fair enough you said nobody that i would ever uh, really care about hearing this is gonna is gonna hear it is that what you're saying that,
0: that's what i'm saying nobody nobody of importance <laughs> listens to this show i'm not even okay, sure anybody of of no importance listens to this show either it's basically you and me talking on the phone right now and i I just happened to record it, so that's that's all it boils down to. Let's get into a topic that we're more than familiar with. It's a guy that we got to know over the last few months, getting his first NBA coaching job officially today. Earl Watson, named son's head coach, no longer interim coach. What are your initial reactions, John?
1: Well, my initial reaction when I heard that it happened today was surprised that uh, the timing of it, I just kind of felt like, uh, you know, maybe it was going to take another week or so. And that they might go through, you know, a little bit more of an interview process, but uh, not surprised that he got the job. I'm happy for the guy. I think he earned it, uh, you know, through what he was given, uh, the situation that he came into uh, with his first coaching gig, albeit with an interim label. uh, I thought it went really well for him, uh, you know, from a standpoint of of proving that, that, you know, he could take on a, a task like this, that he could get guys, uh, to rally around what he was telling them, uh, that he could do some teaching, that you could see some growth and continued growth from some of the young guys. And that's really what it boiled down to for me to, to see, you know, all right, is Earl Watson a potential candidate? And that's what we were kind of watching over the course of the last few weeks to see, and even a couple months, uh, to see if, if he was going to be a legitimate option for the Suns moving forward. And uh, to hear the reaction from the players is really what spoke volumes to me. Now I know Ryan McDonough and the sons have maintained that that's not uh, you know, why they made this move that they did it because they really believe that Earl Watson can be a, a very good coach in this league. But I think that when you hear Tyson Chandler and you hear P.J. Tucker and Ronnie Price was the first guy I saw when I got to the press conference today uh, and and you almost thought, you know, maybe this will be happening for him at some point, right, because we've heard so much about Ronnie being a coach on the floor and knowing the game as he does. Uh, And and you hear these guys talk about it all, it makes you kind of respect him even more. And I know you and I have had many conversations with him uh, and had him in studio for that uh, show we did a couple of months back. And, and we're very impressed from the get-go about how he handled the media, uh, but also how he talked about the game and talked about people. And that left an impression on me. It certainly left an impression on the front office. And, uh, you know, it's going to be an interesting future for this team with a young, young coach, still a very young general manager, and a pretty young core of players. I think uh, what it does is it kind of sets a proper expectation for Suns fans, at least I hope it does, and, uh, you know, it still still bides for, for a, a decently bright future, even though there, I know there are people out there, you know, hoping maybe that they could have gotten a, a big splash type of hire as head coach.
0: Look, I am 100% in favor of, uh, of the hiring of Earl Watson as head coach if... And this is a big if, if they're fully committed to rebuilding this team and that it is a rebuild with those expectations, that it's going to take time and that you're building around a young core of Devin Booker, Alex Len, uh, you know, TJ Warren, uh, Bledsoe, and your first round pick or your two lottery picks this year. If you are committing to that and understanding it, I am fully on board with this because I believe in the long run, Earl Watson will be a very good head coach. What I'm concerned with, with is that we're going to get in a situation again where there's unrealistic expectations put on this team, Earl Watson, and that it's going to be about making making the playoffs, trying to expedite a process in growth and and really – just setting up the entire situation for failure because there are going to be bumps in the road with Earl Watson. He's going to have a learning curve with this job. But if you go in understanding it and setting expectations right, I think it's a great hire because, as you talked about, he has reached these players. He's had an ability with these young guys to, to help them out. a uh, Devin Booker, I don't think, blossoms without Earl Watson at this point. I know, granted, yes, he got extended minutes, but I think Earl Watson uh, helped him along immensely. Uh, you know, Alex Len is a guy that you could see how Earl Watson helped build his confidence along the way. And I, you're going to need that if you're committing to a youth movement. But if, if yeah. you're not, it's gonna be it's gonna be dangerous. And one thing that stood out in my mind was how much early in the season we heard Eric Bledsoe, and this was when Earl Watson was simply a development a developmental coach. We heard Eric Bledsoe talk about the impact that Earl Watson was having on that backcourt, and it started in training camp. That was very encouraging to me too.
1: Yeah, I agree, and it's funny you mentioned training camp because that's what I wanted to touch on uh, about the relationship between Earl and Devin, uh, you know, Earl was, was kind of like Devin's, uh, personal coach through much of what we saw, not just uh, in training camp, but even starting in Las Vegas, if I'm not mistaken, he was out there a little bit, uh, you know, helping work with the guys. And then, uh, when we got to training camp for sure, he was there. And I remember paying attention to the two of them working together, uh, quite a bit throughout the uh, camp, and uh, and they talked about each other as well, even before Earl made the move from you know behind the bench to then on the bench, uh, and and first was be assistant after the Suns made the moves, uh, getting rid of a couple of the veteran assistants, and then obviously it was a tryout, and uh, you know he earned the interim label, and then once he earned that, uh, I think he continued to work hard, and one thing that that, that I really believe is is I think. You know, there are some people that that preach, right? And, and you can you can see that, that you know somebody might talk away where they where they you know they get you mesmerized almost about what they're saying. But then there's other people who actually practice what they preach. And I fully believe that he does that. I, I believe that he believes what he's saying it, with conviction when he does you know share his philosophies, which he likes to do, and, and I enjoy listening to it. But I also believe that he practices that when we're not there, when the microphones aren't on, and he's actually there with the team, and the team has bought into it. That's maybe the biggest surprise of this all, is that here's a guy coming uh, you know, into the league with no experience coaching and just having played not that long ago, and coming into it with a, with a very different type of outlook, where he does like to philosophize, and he does like to refer to John Wooden and, and, uh, and Huey Brown and some of the old coaches that have left such a mark on him he wondered whether that would speak to today's player you know and uh and yet it has and and that was something that really spoke to me like you know if these guys can actually sit up and pay attention and, and buy into what he is saying like we have uh, well then maybe you can get something there now i agree with you you have to keep your expectations leveled for this team it's not just because of earl though it's because of how the team is constructed at this point Now, if Earl Watson's able to go talk to his old buddy that he broke in as a rookie when he was a player and Kevin Durant and convince him to come here, well, then maybe we can have some higher expectations. I don't think that's going to happen. I don't know if there's going to be a big splash in free agency for this team or even if that's necessary at this point when you do want to grow this young core together and move them forward. But you never know. At this point, I think Ryan McDonough is going to be aggressive. But I also think what he's going to do is is, uh, all his work uh, along with his staff and the scouting uh, services and everything that they've got working for him with regards to this draft. Because, look, if you want to talk about the future of the Phoenix Suns, it's the last three years of the draft under Ryan McDonough, including this season, uh, laying the foundation moving forward. And I really believe that. You mentioned Devin Booker, T.J. Warren, Alex Len. Uh, I would throw Bogdan Bogdanovich in the mix, whether or not he comes over this year, but the fact that you have an opportunity to bring one of Europe's best and brightest young players over, I think that makes a difference, and then what are you going to do with two lottery picks here in 2016? This is all going to lay the foundation for the future of this team. That's the exciting part for the fan base, not the potential of winning 45 games and maybe sneaking into the playoffs next season. This is a long-term run. It's a frustrating thing because we all have been through it together six years without going to the postseason is nothing any of us ever wanted to have to deal with with the sons and you haven't had to deal with that in your whole lifetime that's how lucky we've been but now here we are and the way to get out of it well it's it's to, to kind of bide your time be patient grow these young players this young core let them grow up together and maybe they'll have a young coach to lead them on uh you know through this process
0: well yeah, you bring up the six years without the playoffs and of course it's frustrating i'm right there with you I, i've been a fan my whole life but The problem is they've never committed to fully rebuilding at any point in this. When it was its worst, it was under Lance Blanks, and he was not the guy to try to shepherd you through a rebuilding process. He pinned his hopes on guys like Wesley Johnson and Michael Beasley, and if you believe the stories, which I do, he was in favor of Raymond Felton over Goran Dragic. So, you know, honestly— they have not committed to the rebuilding because in year one of Ryan McDonough's tenure you get the 48 win surprise team and all of a sudden it was push the chips all in to the center of the table let's try to make a run at this you can't do that you can't buy into that you've got to build this the right way for me I'd much rather be in the Minnesota Timberwolves position than the position that you look at a Houston Rockets are in where they tried to go all in they expedited a process they didn't build a young talent they didn't bring in young talent and and now you're seeing two two teams heading in opposite directions commit to the rebuild that's a huge huge thing for me uh, another thing that has kind of bothered me well not bothered me, but I understand the fans uh, hesitation with the fact that there weren't supposedly there weren't any other interviews in this process that they didn't at least kick the tires. On a few other coaches and to me, the reason for that is it's not like this was going into the offseason with they had just fired their head coach and they automatically hired a guy without going through an interview process. You got to look at the last three months as an interview process for Watson and you've also got to imagine that in that three months they reached out they put feelers in to understand what the coaching market was around the NBA and the realistic chances they had at getting other guys or how the fit would be with those guys people will bring up Tom Thibodeau's name constantly we've heard that a lot from fans Ryan McDonough has inside knowledge of Tom Thibodeau having worked in the same front office as him in Boston. He knew Tom Thibodeau personally, so he had an idea there. You have to imagine that they in one way or another, felt out Luke Walton's interest in in leaving Golden State. You know that they did their due diligence. This wasn't a, hey, you know what? Let's ignore everybody else over the last three months and simply hand this job to Earl Watson. There's no way that Ryan McDonough, an intelligent man, actually made that process happen. If that is the way that it went down with no due diligence. I understand the frustration, but I find it very hard to believe that they didn't do their due diligence to try to figure out if there were any other candidates for this job.
1: Yeah, I'm with you there. I mean, it, it did dawn on me at first that, uh, you know, I was surprised that there, there wasn't more of an interview process. Uh, it doesn't mean that they didn't To actually talk to some people uh, and have some casual conversations, you know, maybe a guy like David Blatt, who's not working right now, you know, could they have possibly had a conversation with him or his representation? Sure. You know, could they have done the same with some of the other guys you mentioned? I, I believe they could have, and they probably did. And and they did their homework. And in the meantime, uh, they they had a careful eye on the guy that they pegged as as uh, you know the proper guy to take over in the middle of the season when they made the move to fire Jeff Hornacek. So you know, I, I look at it uh, and say. You know, this is why they're in the positions they're in. You know, I've always taken that uh, approach when it comes to, especially some of the controversial things that we discuss on the post-game show and and, uh, just in conversations in the building. Um, You know, look, it's uh, it's a deal where if it was me running the show, uh, obviously things would be different, but I'm not, and I'm not there to do it. Uh, and I'm not there to, to necessarily, uh, you know, even give my opinion on whether guys are doing a good or bad job. I, I will tell you what my opinion is of the guy who has the job, and I'm impressed with him. I think he's going to be a very good coach someday. I don't know if that's this year. I don't know if that's in the next couple years, and I don't know if that's in Phoenix. Uh, but because sometimes it takes seasoning, just like for a young player, uh, it takes seasoning in that role or a general manager, for that matter. And now the Phoenix Suns have all of that, so. That's why you have to look at it with a different eye than say, you know, we did look at things after Jeff Hornacek's first season and Ryan McDonough's first season when there was 48 wins, unbelievably 48 wins, which, you know, would put you as a a potential uh, home court advantage team this year with the way things went in the West. But uh, that year it was on the outside looking in, and and it did skew everything from, from, you know, that way going forward. You can look back at that with regret. I don't. I look back at that with the last time I really enjoyed doing this job because it was a great season. And, it, and even though they didn't make the run to the playoffs, it still was a fantastic season and let, it left everybody, you know, wanting more and being excited for the next season. Kind of like the way the Cardinals fan base feels right now. We're far from that now with the Suns, but I don't. I, I wouldn't necessarily put it out of the mix to say, well, you know, this team can't be competitive next year. I mean, look at the Portland Trailblazers. They completely overhauled that roster. Uh, they got rid of a, a bunch of their starters and yet they have two cornerstone pieces in the backcourt and they were able to put other role players around them and they're in the playoffs and, and they, you know, didn't sneak in. They were pretty much firmly in. So, you know, I'm not saying that the Suns are in the exact same position as Portland, but I'm also not saying they couldn't be.
0: Well, look, and, and, I beg of you, Internet, please cut the Lindsey Hunter crap out. This is not a Lindsey Hunter situation. Earl Watson coming into this job was highly regarded as a guy who was going to become a head coach in this league and have impact. And before he took the job with the Suns, and he told us this story, John, I think it was uh, when he was in studio with us, that he had actually been offered – a job on the Spurs coaching staff and he turned it down to take the opportunity in Phoenix because in San Antonio, they don't tell you exactly what that role is. They just offer you a role and you accept it and then they place you. He took a leap of faith to come here to Phoenix. He did not stab Jeff Hornacek in the back, which was the case with Lindsey Hunter and Alvin Gentry. This, this is a totally different situation. The only, the, The only parallels are the fact that a coach got fired – uh, and a guy who had started the season in the back row as an assistant became the interim head coach. That is the only similarity in all this. The guys are completely different. their basketball knowledge is completely different. and the general manager in charge of it has a much uh, more honed vision than Lance Blanks did at the time. So I'm just I'm sick of that comparison. It's completely unfair to Earl Watson and others in the front office.
1: Yeah, I agree. Um, you know, I mean, the only comparison that that stands is the fact that they both had long careers as as journeyman guards in the NBA. Uh, I mean, and then and then made a move to to coaching. And and Lindsey's was very short lived. In fact, he just uh, took uh, another one of my friend's jobs uh, as an afternoon drive host in Detroit now on the radio. Uh, go figure. But oh, uh, you know, I look. I, I'm I'm very interested to see what Earl Watson does. Uh, but at the same time, you know, I'm I'm not going to jump out there and lead the bandwagon in, uh, you know, this team's headed back to the playoffs yet. I still need to see how the roster's constructed, how it comes together, how Eric Bledsoe recovers from his latest injury. Uh, that's obviously a key. And, uh, you know, who's still around? Uh, is Mirza Toledovich back with this team? Do they get Bogdanovich? Who do they get in the draft? Uh, you know, all this stuff is going to be what we discover over the next few months, and uh, you know, my hope is that uh, Ryan McDonough is able to to have success like he has, uh, picking young players and incorporating them in, and that maybe uh, you know Earl Watson, coupled with Tyson Chandler and uh, the veterans on this team, and, and the uh, outlook for a young guy like Devin Booker can be an attraction for for free agency and, and maybe bringing somebody else out another veteran or two that can they can really help this team
0: agree wholeheartedly and another thing i think this process and kind of some of the angst that we've seen come from it today i think it's showing and kind of revealing a larger issue when it comes to the Suns. and i think it's all about faith and trust that this team has to rebuild with its fan base to me that's that's where this anger is coming from it's not I think it has less to do with Earl Watson and more to do with the fact that after six years of not being in the playoffs the natives are restless restless they're upset in general and I'm not sure anything outside of putting together a plan and winning, seeing that plan through and winning is going to fix that. I don't think you could have hired, brought Red Auerbach back from the dead to to coach this team. And I think you would have seen the same kind of upset fan base because right now everything's going to upset upset the fans until they win.
1: Yeah, I think that, that you're probably right. I mean, there's little little victories that could come between now and, and maybe the Suns actually getting a winning record uh, at the end of 82 games. Uh, you know, the first one would be next month with the draft lottery if uh, you know for some reason the sons could finally get lucky in one of these things and get uh, you know a top two pick and i think uh, i say top two cuz i think the top two guys in in uh, Ben Simmons and Brandon Ingram have separated themselves a little bit uh with regards to this lottery so if they could somehow get in there Uh, it's not like one of those players is going to be a game-changer right off the bat. I don't want to let anybody think that that's uh, an opinion I hold because it's not. Uh, Either Ben Simmons or Brandon Ingram are going to be another guy you have to be patient with for the next couple of years. In fact, I wouldn't even think they would have an impact like Devin Booker had this year. Uh, And Again, it's all about opportunity, and he was given a great opportunity to make that impact that he did. So, you know, it, but but you consider that if you get a top two pick uh, coupled with a number 12 or 13 from the Wizards. Well, then I think that's a that's a nice victory. That's that's something the that Suns fans can be excited about moving forward. And, uh, you know, then you then you see what else happens in this offseason. I agree with you. I think there's going to be some hatred and some animosity and a lot of people being upset. Hey, they're upset. They've been upset all season. That's what happens when you win. Twenty-three games. There's a reason to be upset. There's a lot of reason right now as a fan, uh, but there's also reason to be excited, and uh, that could help it. That could help the excitement quite a bit, as if the uh, the ping pong balls fall the right way for the first time, and who knows how long. Look,
0: anger anger makes sense in this process. It has been a very long time. Fans have had to put up with a lot of junk. <laughs> uh, this is uh, what yeah. it, the. I think we did the math on this. this. Is the fourth or fifth coach in this in this stretch that that fans have uh, have now had uh, between interim coaches and, and guys that got fired? It's just at some point, yes. As fans, you're frustrated. You're putting hard earned money into this. You dedicate your time and, and your energy to it. I get being frustrated, but this team sorely needs to commit to a plan. And I know I've harped on that a lot on this podcast, but that's been, that's been the biggest problem over six years is with no plan and fans have to accept if the plan is go with youth, that's a good thing. Like it may take a little longer to get to where, where you're winning consistently and in the discussion to be one of the elite in the Western conference. But in the end, it's the right move to make. And yes, the the last six years, have been maddening. You want to rip your hair out, and as somebody who sat inside of it and as a media member and as a fan at varying times in that six-year period, I'm right there with you. It's frustrating, especially when you have to sit there uh, as somebody working for a team and, and tow a very fine line with it. But I think the way it's heading makes more sense than anywhere that they've been in, in the last few years.
1: It does, uh, but things still have to happen, meaning these young players that we're talking about still need to grow and improve and turn into really good, if not great players, at least one or two of them, right? I mean, that's what's going to really have to happen for this team to turn into a title contender. And it's not going to happen overnight. It's not going to happen next year or even the year after, most likely, and probably not for three to five years if you wanted to be conservative. Uh, And and that's, that's not an easy thing to digest. And uh, devour if you're a fan, I get it. Uh, but that's what that's the reality right now. And if you want to go back, you track back. Look at look at some of the other champions recently uh, in the NBA. I mean, how did the Golden State Warriors go through this process? Just go back. Just look at their records since Steph Curry was drafted. You're the first couple years they had to deal with uh, with him. And I know he had some ankle injuries and stuff like that. But they didn't have the surrounding cast either. And he didn't. He didn't, he wasn't the kind of player that he has become. I uh, know we've seen glimpses from guys like uh, Bledsoe and Warren and, and, uh, and certainly Devin Booker this year. And Alex Lynn, again, I think there's still some people out there that are questioning him. I'm not one of them. I know you're not one of them either. With the work ethic, the size, the ability, and the brain that he has, I have a lot of faith that this young man's going to turn into a very good big man in the league. He's 22, and the learning curve for a big man is definitely different than what it is for a guard. Uh, You just need to know that it is. And if you're around basketball long enough, you learn that pretty quickly. So I still have faith that he can turn into something special too. So you got those guys, but they have to turn into that, right? So you can say that the plan is to rally around youth, but you better have the right youth. And I think that's what they're trying to figure out. And and, uh, Ryan McDonough is certainly leading the charge with that, him and his staff. And then they're up against it now, and he knows it.
0: Well, and I think Earl Watson is the guy you bring in to help develop that. That's why you stick with him, because he's proven that he can reach those guys. That's important. Another topic I want to talk about before I let you get out of here, John, is I want to talk about Brandon Knight. A lot has been made about his comments uh, that he made during locker cleanout that his role is going to stay the same in his mind as it was this year. I am a firm believer in, in if this is going to work, you need Brandon Knight to accept that his role in the NBA long term probably needs to be more Jamal Crawford than anything else. He needs to be that six-man guard that's going to come in and be able to really score at will, and you need him to accept that role because putting Devin Booker back on the bench, even though he'll say the right things, he'll do it, I don't think makes sense at this point. You let the genie out of the bottle this year. I think you got to keep playing him at the two, and I think him and and Bledsoe at point guard and shooting guard make a really interesting dynamic there and if Knight can accept that role off the bench I think he can blossom there and really in the end I don't understand the stigma on being a bench guy if you're gonna come in and you're gonna play 30 plus minutes you're still gonna get your points and if you're the hot hand most coaches Earl Watson included will let you play to close out a game as well if you're the hot guy so I, I think he needs to get past this stigma of needing to be a starter. And some people argue, well, $14 million is too much for a bench guy, for a sixth man. And I argue with the cap going up to $92 million this year, probably in excess of $100 million the following season, $14 million for a very quality sixth man is going to be a normal range that you're going to see. I, I think that's going to happen this offseason. Your thoughts on that, John?
1: Well, uh, first of all, you, you can't break it down like that. You can't you, you can't look at a guy's salary and look at uh, you know whether you call him a starter or not and say that that's how you determine whether or not a, the, the, there's value in the deal. The value in the deal is can he be a key piece in this team turning into a, a competent basketball team that can contend, that can try to make a run for the playoffs, that can grow together and move forward. Look, right now the the best position for Brandon Knight, I agree with you, is probably that sixth or seventh man. Now I say six. Or seventh, because potentially you go with the big first off the bench, but in the end, it's going to boil down to what is he from a minute standpoint? And in my opinion, he's still going to be a top five guy from a minute standpoint. So if he's a top-five guy from a minute standpoint and a production standpoint, and he's giving you 16, 17 points a game, which I think is feasible for him to do coming off the bench, then it doesn't matter if you want to call him a starter or if you want to call him a sixth man. Uh, And Jamal Crawford fits that category, and there's been many before him that have also fit that category. Uh, It's a vital role, and there's a couple guys that that they may look to to have that role. I agree with you, that I don't think the dynamic of Bledsoe and Knight in a starting backcourt is one that can really work uh, and be sustainable. I, I just think that too often there's going to be matchup problems that are negative as opposed to some of them that they get that are positive with, with giving the other team problems trying to guard those two guys. So I, I like the fact that you have this shooting guard that has emerged as as a clear-cut building blocker this team moving forward, and I think that the feedback would be so negative if Devin Booker wasn't your starting shooting guard next season. I just think, I think you have to look at, at how you're building this team You've made it clear now with billboards and everything else of what this kid means to this team moving forward. So he's got to be in that starting five. And, and the hope is that Eric Bledsoe is back hundred percent healthy and ready to go and, and ready to play like he did coming out of the gates this season where he was fantastic. You and I were talking to all-star about Eric Bledsoe the first month of the season. And there was a reason for that. We weren't the only ones talking about it either. It wasn't because we were there working for the team. It was because that's how good he was playing. And the hope is he can do that over the course of 82 games and he hasn't really proved that so far in his career, but you still hope that he can at, at 25 years of age, uh, or 26 now, I think he is, right? So, uh, you know, look, I, I I think it can work with Brandon Knight, but it's all going to depend on Brandon Knight. You know, you're right. Does he accept this? Just like you had to accept them playing the Dark Knight uh, theme song every time he made a bucket, and that was hard for you, oh, Courtside. I could see the strain <laughs> in Greg Esposito's face every time Hell played that when Brandon Knight knocked out the shot. Uh, maybe they'll change that up next season. I, I don't know what you know moves are going to be made this offseason. season. I know there's been people talking about it, and I've been in conversations about people saying maybe Brandon Knight is a piece that you can move because there's teams around this league that would love to give him a shot. Albeit there's probably some teams that are hesitant now that he's already uh, you know had Detroit and Milwaukee give up on him. That uh, you know Phoenix does that. That's maybe a three strikes you out type deal for some teams, but. I don't know. I, I think his skill set could be ideal for that Jamal Crawford role. You're right.
0: Well, and we've seen other guy Eddie Johnson is a guy that – that was a, a streak shooter that, that would go out there and score in droves off the bench. For me, I am a firm believer in Eric Bledsoe. I don't care who I'm paid by, what I do. Eric Bledsoe is a guy I firmly believe in, uh, is on a trajectory to be an all-star as long as he can stay healthy. And I know how hard he is working to come back. I fully believe he he is a guy that needs to be in that backcourt with Devin Booker. I, I'm hesitant to go and say they should consider trading Brandon Knight because we've seen this team let a lot of talent walk out the door because they may or may not have been happy with their role. But at some point, you have to understand that chemistry is a huge part of things. And if Brandon Knight is very unwilling to accept that role, which I'm not saying that's necessarily the case. I don't know. We heard one comment from him. I'm not going to judge a guy based on that. But if he's not willing to to accept that role and you feel that's what's best for your franchise, move on find a, find a way to to just not have that in the locker room. Let's not repeat the mistakes of the past that we saw uh, because that's that's a big deal. You got to learn from your past and, and I think that's that's a huge key for Ryan McDonough and the his success moving forward is can he learn? from those mistakes that he made in those first few years. It's acceptable to have missteps when you're a young GM in this game, but it's how quick can you bounce back from those, learn from those mistakes. I think this is a situation that will define his future as a general manager in the NBA is how all this plays out, especially backcourt-wise.
1: Yeah, I mean, look, look at, let's look at a possible situation here. What if uh, the Suns don't move up and what if they're selecting fourth and the guy that they think is the best guy available is Chris Dunn, the point guard from Providence. Let's say that that is a scenario and it's a feasible one. Uh, and Ryan McDonough decides, hey, he's number one on our board. We've got to take him. This is the guy we think is going to be the biggest difference maker. Well, in that case then I think you are shopping brand tonight. Uh, you are looking around and seeing what can we get? Is there a power forward available or what, what kind of uh, assets are going to come back in return for a guy who were concerned that he might not be ready to embrace that role. Uh, you know, that, that's another c- scenario that, that could be out there. And there's so many of them that it's hard to sit here and project and predict at this point, sitting at the end of April. Uh, but, uh, you know, by the time the next month rolls around and we know exactly where the Suns are picking, well, then maybe we might have a better idea there. And then the following month when we get to the draft in June, uh, well, then a lot of things are going to be kind of illuminated for, for the Suns and, and, for the fan base to, to know, all right, well, what is this team really going to look like going into next season? Because I, I do think that there's still some flexibility here, that there's still some possibilities uh, of some trades to go along with uh, an exciting draft of three first round picks and uh, free agency.
0: I agree. A lot of, a lot of opportunity to improve. I just, I don't, I don't see how you can sell, drafting drafting a guard especially with Bogdan Bogdanovich potentially coming over the log jam you have I would rather see a trade down if if the best guy on your board if you're picking fourth is a guard I I would much rather see see them deal out of that slot and and move back uh, because I just you think the fan base is upset now if you draft a guard all hell will basically break loose. And I know you can't guide your, your franchise based on, on your fan base like that, but I think it would be a very, very dangerous move. But we will talk about plenty of that. And, John, I, we talked about this, but I'd love to have you back, night of draft lottery, so you and I can kind of break it down right after those ping-pong balls fall the way they will and kind of take a look at uh, where things stand for the Phoenix Suns.
1: Yeah, I mean, I was kind of hoping either one of us would be the call for the lucky charm, you know, and, and going uh, to the lottery to see if, you know, they could get the, the envelope to, to go their way. But uh, we'll see. We'll see who ends up being the representation. I know Big Daddy Mark West has done it a bunch of times. Uh, I don't think Devin Booker would be a bad call. I think uh, maybe having him out there as your face would, would look pretty good for the Suns.
0: I, I, I joked about this somewhere, but I would love to see Kareem Abdul Jabbar. I think I was talking with Coro about this. If he was, if he was the, if he was the source of the curse and the coin flip, just send him there. Maybe you can break it. And John, nobody wants me to go because I was there for the Alex Len uh, ping pong balls, and yeah, I was there right. for the Devin Booker ping pong balls last year. So I obviously am not uh, going to get. The number one pick for anybody, and that was that was with me pulling gimmicks of I had a autograph uh, Cotton Fitzsimmons ticket stub and a uh, double sided uh, 1964 Kennedy half dollar. It was double headed uh, to try to break the curse, and I couldn't do it. So I think it's good that I won't be in New York representing the Phoenix Suns. If
1: they, if they got Kareem, though, they'd have to ha- you know refer to him as Lou, wouldn't they? Because that's what he do. was back then.
0: You got. You got they to have to. Have
1: just make sure he'd, he'd approve the, you know, the the name transfer again and go back to being Lou Alcindor. But, uh, if yes, that's a funny one, I don't know, you know, I just hope uh, that, that, uh, you know, maybe the new commission can uh, can be the lucky charm. I know he was around the last few, but, uh, you know, maybe, maybe the sons will, will get the benefit of the doubt. And I do think that would be the start of, uh, you know, things kind of falling uh, the right way for this team in the off season. Then you get to wait for the draft and free agency and potentially trades too. And, uh, they're going to be busy in that front office. You know, I don't think there's going to be any kind of complacency at this point. It's not like, all right, we got our coach. That's that's uh, pretty much what we had to do. Let's go vacation. No, that's not what these guys are about right now. And, and I saw that at the press conference today. You can tell that there's, you know, this motivation. You can also tell that Earl wants to, to be a part of it. And, uh, and, you know, help construct his team, as I think
0: he should. Well, here's one, before we go, here's one serious suggestion for Draft Lottery Night. <laughs> Let's send Al, Al McCoy. He is the there Phoenix go. Suns. Let's have him out there. Represent represent the team. He is the guy that is most recognizable. He is the only Suns <laughs> lifer. I say he's the pick. But, John, always a pleasure. Why don't you let everybody know where they can find you online?
1: Oh, uh, well, mainly just, uh, you know, doing that Twitter thing. You can find me. It's, it's at John Bloom, J-O-N-B-L-O-O-M, and, uh, you know, time to time, I, I chime in, not just uh, Suns and Hoops related, but, you know, throw some golf in there, some humor, some music. Uh, one of these days, you and I can break that down on No Character Limits. We can actually, you know, step aside to NBA talk and, and talk about all those other things we enjoy. I don't know if I can go as deep into, you know, the Batman series and the Marvel stuff and, and all the the, those types of things but there's other stuff we've got common ground on so if you ever want to do that you know I'm around food you know that's that's another one uh, and uh, look i missed miss you down the stretch of the season but I'm glad we get to reconnect for this
0: we, we will definitely over the summer do a little uh taco talk some music talk we'll get into more things he is john bloom i highly recommend following him on twitter i am greg esposito you can follow me at espo you can also subscribe to the show on itunes search no character limits you can subscribe on soundcloud stitcher uh, just please do that leave a review for the show it helps us keep going helps us to try to find uh, some advertisers and also check out the new NoCharacterLimits.com. Some great blogs on there by uh, my friend Chris Trimmer, myself uh, writing there as well. And we'll have some other talented writers joining us there. So for John Bloom, I'm Greg Esposito, and we'll talk to you next time here on No Character Limits.